Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at UK the capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. Today's show is all about a woman who was not only a poet and a playwright but she was an educator and an anti-slavery campaigner. Yet she was born just down the road in fish ponds. I was describing someone who sounds absolutely amazing. You might even recognise a name, but not know much about her. Her name was Hannah Moore. On the 2nd of February 1745, Hannah Moore was born in fish ponds in Bristol. One of five sisters whose father... Jacob Moore was a schoolmaster. In her early years, she taught at the school her family had opened with her sisters. Her biographer, S.J. Sked, has pointed out, Hannah Moore grew up in a loving, intellectual and predominantly female environment. A precocious child and the acknowledged genius of the family, she displayed a quick-witted cleverness and a passion for learning, which was nurtured not only by her scholarly father, who taught her Latin and mathematics, but also by her mother and sisters. Hannah was very close to her elder sisters, through whom she learned French. Her conversational French was improved by spending time with French prisoners of war in Frenchay during the Seven Years' War. She was a studious student with a sharp intellect and, according to family tradition, began writing at an early age. In 1758, together with her sisters, she opened a successful boarding school Number 6, Trinity Street, College Green. Especially for young women. The local news announced, On Monday, after Easter, will be opened a school for young ladies by Mary Moore and her sisters, where will be carefully taught French, reading, writing, arithmetic and needlework. This was so successful that when Park Street was laid out, the Moore sisters had one built to their specifications and they moved to that one once it was completed in 1762. It was there that she became friends with the next-door neighbour, Reverend Dr Stonehouse, who encouraged Hannah's writing and corrected her early endeavours. At this time in her life, Hannah was described as being pretty, with delicate refined features, rather sharply cut, and beautiful keen dark eyes, which were enhanced in brilliancy by the whiteness of her powdered hair. 
1772, she published The Search After Happiness, which was very well received by the public. This piece of work clearly expressed her views on women's education. Hannah would also write the plays for school performances, such as Sacred Dramas, and that brought her to the attention of Samuel Johnson, one of the greatest figures of 18th century life and letters, and David Garrick, an English actor, playwright, theatre manager and producer, and they became her lifelong friends. In 1767, when she was only 22, Hannah became engaged to a local landowner called William Turner, who was 20 years older than her, of the Belmont estate in Raxall, Somerset. She met him when he began teaching her cousins. Whilst on a visit to William's estate, Hannah wrote inscriptions for her favourite spots and trees in his grounds, which he later painted onto boards and fixed to the said trees. In an article in Tate's magazine, an unnamed clergyman of great responsibility said that the date of the wedding was all set and on that morning the wedding party was still waiting an hour after the arranged start time. Eventually a single horseman was seen approaching the church and after he dismounted he presented Hannah with a letter from William saying that he could not bring his mind at the hour of crisis to so solemn and irrevocable a contract. It seems that as a result, Hannah suffered a nervous breakdown and spent some time recuperating in Uphill near Western Supermare. Hannah Moore was induced to accept a £200 annuity for life from Turner as compensation and this is what gave her the freedom to follow her dream. Now I think it's time for Word of the Week. This week's Word of the Week is an old Somerset word for bumblebee and it's recognisable from the Harry Potter films. The word is Dumbledore. Not surprisingly, soon afterwards, Hannah resolved never to marry and refused several subsequent proposals, including one from the poet John Langhorne. She then pursued an extraordinarily successful literary career in London, having met Mrs Montague, the Queen of the Blue Stockings, at the Garrick's house. Hannah was soon welcomed into this elite female society and began socialising with fellow members of the Blue Stockings Society, which was a group of intelligent women who would often meet up. The term now more broadly applies to women who show interest in literary or intellectual matters. The reference to blue stockings may arise from the time when woolen worsted stockings were informal dressed in contrast to formal, fashionable black silk stockings. During this visit to London, she met up with Samuel Johnson again. He came up to her at a gathering at Sir Joshua Reynolds' house, with Reynolds' macaw on his arm and repeating the first verse of one of Hannah's poems. Later, during the meal, they were seated next to each other and spent the rest of the evening laughing and chatting away. When she visited Johnson's house, she immediately sat in his great armchair, hoping to catch some of his genius. When he heard about it, he roared with laughter, saying that he never sat in that chair. Hannah's friend, the actor David Garrick, 
put on her first play, The Inflexible Captive, at the Theatre Royal in Bath in April 1775. Hannah then wrote a play, Percy, which was an instant success at the Covent Garden Theatre in 1778, and 4,000 copies were sold in a fortnight, and she made nearly £600 from the rights to the play. Writing to her sisters about the reception of Percy, One tear is worth a thousand hands, and I have the satisfaction to see men shed them in abundance. David Garrick valued his friendship with Hannah so much that he presented her with a casket made from Shakespeare's mulberry tree and bearing the inscription, I kissed the shrine where Shakespeare's ashes lay and bore this relic of the bard away. But when David Garrick died in January 1779, she lost all her enthusiasm for the theatre as she came to regard the theatre as morally wrong. In the 1770s, Hannah became very involved with a group called the Clapham Sect of Evangelical Christians which opposed slavery. In 1787, Hannah met John Newton, Thomas Clarkson, James Ramsey and William Wilberforce MP. William Wilberforce was a British politician, philanthropist and a leader of the movement to abolish the slave trade. He died just three days after hearing that the Slavery Abolition Act 1833 was definitely going through Parliament. Hannah Moore joined their fight to abolish slavery and wrote Slavery, a Poem as part of the abolition campaign. The poem dramatically described a mistreated, enslaved female separated from her children and it questioned Britain's role in the slave trade. It's quite a long poem, but here is an extract to give you a feel of what it's like. I see, by more than fancy mirror shown, the burning village and the blazing town. See the dire victim torn from social life, the shrieking babe, the agonising wife. She, wretch forlorn, is dragged by hostile hands to distant tyrants sold in distant lands. Transmitted miseries and successive chains, the sole sad heritage her child obtains. Even this last wretched boon their foes deny to weep together or together die. By felon hands, by one relentless stroke, see the fond links of feeling nature broke. The fibres twisting round a parent's heart, torn from their grasp and bleeding as they part. Hold, murderers, hold, not aggravate distress. Respect the passions you yourselves possess. Hannah Moore published pamphlets and helped to organise sugar boycotts. The anti-slavery campaigners had a revolutionary aim, challenging the entrenched system of slavery. Hannah was undoubtedly an important contributor to the campaign, using her acknowledged writing ability to try to influence public opinion. However, with the French Revolution 
across the waters. The British establishment was deeply worried about the spread of this type of thinking from writers such as Thomas Paine. So Hannah was asked if she could persuade the masses against radicalism with patriotic conservatism in her now popular pamphlets. So Hannah started work putting some information together to produce some new pamphlets to be distributed around the country. Basically, she was communicating with the masses. As well as those two, she was also writing successful pieces like Village Politics and a further 50 other pieces which sold millions of copies. Her activism also included campaigns for education and welfare for the poor, funded by her publishing success. William Roberts, the author of Memoirs of the Life and Correspondence of Mrs. Hannah Moore, writes that in August 1789, Wilberforce stayed with her, and on visiting the nearby village of Cheddar, they were appalled to find incredible multitudes of poor plunged in an excess of vice, poverty and ignorance beyond what one would suppose possible in a civilised and Christian country. So, in the very same year, she purchased a small house at Cowslip Green in Somerset, and together with her sister Martha, and with the encouragement from Wilberforce, Hannah set up a Sunday school in Cheddar, where poor children could be taught to read. She became involved in many squabbles with the locals, who resented her idea to allow the local colliers and their wives to become as educated as herself. Farmers thought that education, even to the limited extent of learning to read, would be fatal to agriculture, and clergy accused her of Methodist tendencies. Soon, she and her sisters had set up similar schools throughout the Mendip villages, despite fierce opposition. Encouraged by her dearest friend, William Wilberforce, she ended up establishing 12 schools across Somerset. Three of the schools became her great schools, which operated in the weekdays as well as on Sundays. These had high attendance of children and adults. These schools were also the basis for friendly societies for women, encouraging savings for clothing and in cases of illness. By 1791, 1,700 children were pupils. Hannah and Patty visited all the schools regularly from their house at Barleywood in Rington. Have I got a great book of the week for you? I'm actually quite a fan and I'm waiting for the third one to come out this year. It's called Weird Bristol, The Ultimate Guide to a City's Secrets. And it's by Charlie Revel Smith, who's an acclaimed author of the Bristol Murder series of novels, as well as curator of the Weird Bristol Twitter feed, which shares the lesser known and mysterious history of the city. Why do I like this book? Well... It joins two things that I really enjoy. One is history and the other is walking. Because what he's done is he's laid out all the historical facts of Bristol in several different walks around the city. So you get to experience the historical stories whilst you're actually there. It goes through things like ghost stories, urban legends and folklore alongside the historical facts and short biographies. And each walk is really lovely to do on a lovely sunny Sunday afternoon. 
Now, as part of the research for the show, I got in touch with the lovely Dr. Jo Edwards. She's part of the Hannah Moore Society and loves talking about everything Hannah Moore has achieved. The Society does various work in schools on Hannah Moore and are developing resources for use in the schools, like a key stage two booklet. But here's Jo, in her own words, to tell you why Hannah is so important. So why is Hannah Moore so interesting? Well, from her modest beginnings as the daughter of a schoolmaster in Stapleton, her talent and wit as a writer, poet and playwright propels her into an extraordinary social, political and cultural network. In terms of today, she would most definitely have been a blue tick on Twitter and she was connected to some of the most influential people of her day, including Samuel Johnson and David Garrick, to William Wilberforce and the Thorntons. She had an astonishing output of work and she sold millions of copies of her cheap repository tracts. She was a key player in anti-savory campaigns and in projects providing education for the poor. She had an extraordinary reach in her long life. She is a very complex character and she's involved in radical causes such as abolition and reactionary politics in the shade of the terror of the French Revolution. She had a fascinating life which still has an imprint and an impact in Bristol and Somerset today and we hope to stimulate more interest in Hannah Moore through the newly formed Hannah Moore Trust. You are listening to Alice on the Backtracker History Show, and as always, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK, or you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. Now remember guys, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving isn't for you. Let's continue with our story. Now, Nelsey was a coal mining village, and in 1788, John Lucas set up a glass-making factory there. Wages were good, but working conditions were dreadful. The area was called Little Hell because of the heat of the fires. Patty Moore's journal about the Mendips records their visit, and in 1791, she says, The great furnace is roaring, the swearing, the eating and drinking of these half-dressed, black-looking beings gave it a most infernal and horrid appearance. Local officials gave Hannah Moore permission to set up a Sunday school by the Tithe Barn in Nelsey. Despite being told it was a tough and dangerous place, the school in Nelsey was a great success. To our great surprise, they were sharp and quick to learn. Hannah and Patty then expanded the Sunday school into a great school, with weekly day school for children and evening lessons for adults. Local men who had been coal miners were trained to be teachers at the school. Hannah Moore paid for a local, John Haskins, to receive further education so he could teach the Nelsey children. The Nelsey teachers regularly travelled to Barley Wood to give reports, and scholars from Oxford University such as Charles Ogilvy, visited the school to inspect the lessons and give sermons. Her undoubted achievements led to a great deal of criticism. 
Henry Hunt, furious at her local conservatism, wrote a near libelous piece attacking Moore as an unmarried woman, implying Moore's morals were a mere cloak to cover certain practices, and her religious faith was mocked by others who called her that old bishop in petticoats. Despite her own status and activism, her later writings advocated female education, but with limited public roles for women in society, opinions which became highly unfashionable as a campaign for women's rights developed. The historian David Olasoga has pointed out that many of the campaigners against slavery have been minimised from its history. Hannah Moore is quite obviously a case in point. Revolutionary and reactionary, examining her life and work reveals a woman of contradiction and complexity with an important impact on the age of revolution. In Nelsey, we know her for her work opening the school here, revolutionising education in Nelsey and widening it to a large section of the community, both for adults and children. But her work and activism had a huge impact beyond this area. Shall we get on with some facts of the week? Well, first of all, on the 1st of August 1922, a combined swimming pool and cinema was opened on Gloucester Road. Silent films were screened in winter, and in summer, the floorboards were removed to provide a pool. Also on the 1st of August in 1798, Lord Nelson destroyed the French fleet in the Battle of the Nile, cutting off supplies to the army of Napoleon I in Egypt. And let's not forget, also on the 1st of August, in 1834, slavery was abolished throughout the British Empire. On the 2nd of August, the first British Mail coach service ran from Bristol via Bath to London in 1784. And lastly, on the 5th of August in 1962, legendary film star Marilyn Monroe died. Now, here's a quick fact about the film Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Did you know the ship model shown is the one that was used previously in the 1953 film Titanic and was refurbished to resemble the SS Ile de France, which is clearly named in the film. The model resides in the Marine Museum in Fall River, Massachusetts. Some of the ocean liner sets used were also left over from the Titanic film. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. The Backtracker History Show. Stories from the past, brought back to life.
Throughout her life, Hannah continued to support the cause for abolition. In her old age, people from all parts of the country came to visit the bright, amiable old lady she had become. In 1828, Hannah retired to Four Windsor Terrace in Clifton, where she spent the last five years of her life, often in poor health. Like Wilberforce, she lived just long enough to see the act finally abolishing slavery in the British Empire. She died the 7th of September 1833 at the ripe old age of 88 and was buried in the family vault with her sisters at Church of All Saints in Rington. Busts of her and John Locke still remain in the south porch. Hannah had bequeathed nearly £10,000 to various religious and charitable organisations and had requested that her funeral be devoid of any pomp and ceremony and instead have any suits of mourning be given to 15 poor old men that she had known in life. This wish was obeyed. When her funeral cortege passed through Bristol, all the bells of the churches rang, creating a heavenly send-off from her city of birth. A mile outside Rington and the gentlemen of the village met and joined the procession. For the last half-mile, either side of the road was lined with villagers, mainly wearing black. And as for Hannah's legacy? Well, several local schools and St Michael's Church in Reistertown, Maryland, are named in her honour. Hannamore Primary School was built in Old Market in Bristol in the 1840s. And, very recently, in 2012 actually, an image of Moore was used on the Bristol Pound local currency. And in Rington, where Hannah's buried, you'll find Hannamore Close. I hope you enjoyed today's Hannah Moore special and agree with me that she was a truly amazing Bristolian. Her name has even been put forward as a replacement for the highly publicised eviction of the Colston statue in the centre of Bristol. The part of Hannah was played by Bradley Stoke Radio's very own Catherine Ayres. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>